Hey guys, welcome back to Shootside. I'm your host, Ferris Simon. It's good to be back. And uh, something that's been gnawing at me for a while, and maybe it's because I live in California and we experience it quite a bit out here, but there seems to be kind of a continual onslaught or opposition to animal agriculture in general. And usually it's from uh, those from urban populations or just generally misinformed or sometimes uninformed people. And it seems like every day on social media, every day in the news, from the various different uh, outlets that you can gain information, it seems like there's out somebody out there that's trying to get at what uh, us as animal agriculturists, beef producers, hog producers, sheep producers, whatever it may be, uh, dairy producers, especially out here, it seems like they're trying to get at what we're doing and and tell us uh, that we're, you know, you name it, destroying the environment, creating unhealthy food products, whatever it may be. And generally, it's just a lot of misinformation and emotional misinformation. And it certainly seems like it's a struggle to comprehend and deal with it. And, and the reason why it's such an uphill battle, in my opinion, is that the opposition to what it is that we do is a uh, very vehement in their position and b they are much better communicators about their position than we are as animal agriculturalists and we are not the communicators that the opposition is and then sometimes it seems that when we do fight back or do push back on the misinformation or the poor narrative that's out there we don't always do it in the most effective way because it gets us riled up. Uh, recently, I've seen a lot of it on social media, and a lot of you that are in the uh, agriculture industry probably have, is uh, Ellen DeGeneres uh, had a little clip on her show a while back about be neat, eat less meat, and it was about the uh, variety of what she perceives as negative impacts on the uh, meat industry. So, our guest today is actually a woman that penned an open letter that has now since gone viral to be on the Ellen DeGeneres show and stand up for the beef industry. And she is someone that stands up for the beef industry every day and is a very effective communicator. So I thought it would be very fascinating to talk with her about how we can be better about telling our story, how we can respond to the critics out there with fact-based information our guest today is Amanda Radke. Amanda is a mother of three and she hails from South Dakota where she and her family raised cattle and predominantly limousine and Mananju seed stock. During the day, she's a blogger for Beef Magazine and she's also authored two children's books, Levi's Lost Calf and Can Do Cow Kids. She's also a speaker and she travels the country talking about many of the topics that we'll cover today and we're very, very grateful to have her. So without wasting too much more time, let's get right into it. Well, Amanda, I appreciate you taking the time out of what I seems to be a very busy schedule currently. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here visiting with you and having this opportunity to tell you a little bit about my week. Yeah, yeah. It's been a wild week. Before we get into um, the current viral nature of your being right now, give us a little bit of background. I've seen some articles you've written uh, on the internet and stuff like that. But give us a little background for those of us who don't know you well and tell us kind of who you are and a little bit about you. 
Sure. Uh, well, I grew up on a, a seed stock operation uh, in South Dakota. My family is Knowles Limousine, and, and we raise, obviously, limousine genetics. I farm with my parents and my husband, Tyler, and we also have uh, Maine and Jew cattle. So we have some heifers we we sell in the fall, and I'm a freelance writer and speaker. And so I my guess primary market that I write in is for Beef Magazine um, at beefmagazine.com. I blog every Monday through Thursday, but I also write for several other egg publications, uh, doing columns and news stories and that kind of thing. Um, and I would say I focus largely on uh, the consumer trend side of things. And so this is something that's kind of always been on my mind, even uh, from a young age. I grew up showing calves and and kind of saw what kids that would come to the county fair might say about our calves, you know, when they were in the fitting shoot or, or whatever we were doing. And, and now to the other end of things where I'm working really on behalf of producers to ensure that we have our freedom to farm and our freedom of food choices and, and really working to dispel some of these industry myths, I guess, is what you could describe how I spend most of my days. So you have, it's safe to say that you have a communications and maybe even a PR type background. Uh, yes, I went to South Dakota State University for ag communications. Um, I have worked for some public relations firms over the years, but primarily a, a journalist or I guess a blogger at heart. Um, so writing um, and speaking is really, really where my skill set lies in or where my passions are. So let's get into uh what has really been brewing lately. I, I've, I like we spoke before we got on here to record. Uh, you have been all over my newsfeed on Facebook. Uh, I saw that you've done some TV shows and things like that, but it, maybe I'll take one step back. I see it a lot out here being from California. Obviously, California is a very, I don't even want to call it left-leaning. I mean, it's solidly in the <laughs> left. A bunch of the population is uh, has a liberal outlook uh, they think as farmers, ranchers, dairy people that we're trying to do harm not only to them, but our animals. And it's a constant, maybe the right word isn't assault, but it feels like that at times of there's folks out there that maybe don't understand what it is that we do for a living, uh, don't understand the lifestyle that we lead, and they take objection to that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how your week has kind of been intertwined with this, and that'll kind of set the the basis for the rest of the conversation. Sure. Well, you know, I guess for years, um, animal rights activists have kind of targeted the ranching community, um, and they've come at it from all angles. Um, first, it was animal welfare and animal rights, and um, they've they've gone the nutrition angle and tried to demonize uh, saturated fats and proteins in the diet that come from you know animal products. Then they went religion and and tried to go after the Christians for eating meat. And as they've tried all these different tactics, it seems like the big one that's really sticking is the climate change deal. Um, so for just a little perspective, in 2006, the United Nations came out with a report titled Livestock's Long Shadow, and it basically um, credited beef cattle for the majority of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and since then, that study has been debunked and, and refuted. Um, in fact, the U.S. 
beef industry only emits 2% of all total greenhouse gas emissions compared to 25% of transportation and 30% for electricity. Um, And so that really is kind of what I thought about when I first watched that Ellen DeGeneres uh, video where she was telling folks to help save the planet. Um, We needed to be neat and eat less meat. Um, So Uh, That's what prompted my open letter to the talk show host. And really, my goal wasn't to criticize her her dietary choices, but it was really to debunk some of the misinformation she shared so that consumers could make informed decisions at the grocery store. So you you crafted an open letter to Ellen. You've gotten a lot of feedback. I'd say the feedback from the livestock and farming industry has been overwhelmingly strong, but you've also gotten uh, what sounds like a lot of negative pushback from some of these uh, different groups too. Yes. I mean, by and large, the feedback has been really, really positive. I mean, people within the agricultural community Um, Just consumers uh, in general, uh, the media, not even in the agricultural industry, but just your regular mainstream media, they have reached out to me. And so really the support has been incredible. But with that comes the naysayers, no matter, you know, anytime you're getting attention like this, I mean, the blog has probably had 2 million impressions at this point. Um, you're going to have haters. And so I've been called about every name in the book from a serial killer to a psychopath, a bought and paid lobbyist, you name it. Um, My husband's been receiving hate mail. My character has been drugged through the mud. Uh, You know, everything from targeting my kids and my ability to be a mom to, uh, you know, what we're doing on our ranch in South Dakota. And that that all sounds really scary. And I, I don't share that to deter people from going out and sharing their own personal stories. Um, But it's just, it kind of comes with the territory. And so I really focus on the 95% of folks that just genuinely want to know where their food comes from and how that beef gets to the dinner plate. And hopefully, you know, those quiet majority that are just reading and observing, uh, they see you know, the moral character of the crazy activists and, and they can compare and contrast it to the level headed Uh, beef producers who are having these conversations. And so that's kind of how I approach it. You know, like you had mentioned, so often it's, we feel attacked, and it's very easy to, you know, get defensive or to laugh and think, oh, you know, that naive consumer, how do they not understand this stuff? Or, Or why are they criticizing what I do? And neither one of those reactions are really constructive towards bridging the gap and building those relationships with our consumers. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why someone that lives in an urban environment should understand, or maybe they they should understand, but there's no current reason why they would understand how we go about our business and why we go about our business a certain way. Same reason why I don't uh, understand some of the things that they do in their uh, environments. But you know, I think we could all agree that these really um, extreme personalities with some of these animal rights activists, you know, we're not going to be changing their opinion. They are very formidable mm-hmm. in the sense of they're one track minded. Um, they're not thinking oftentimes logically or rationally or looking at facts. They're thinking very emotionally. And uh, I'm a big mm-hmm. believer that the more emotional 
you think the uh, less fact-based and logic-based your decisions become. But with that said, those folks have the resources and the storytelling ability and the reach to really affect a lot of the fence riders or the people that are maybe uneducated and maybe sway them in a direction that they would look down on us on how we operate within the beef industry and within the animal agriculture industry in general. We always hear that we should be doing a little bit more as producers, and there's not a producer on this planet, farmer, rancher, dairyman, that doesn't believe what they're doing is right, not only for the consumer and the animal, but we all have everyone's best interests in mind, but we're very poor at communicating that to the outside world. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we fall short in realizing that, uh, you know, they don't teach ag education in inner city schools or urban environments. It's not a a subject that's ever broached. So I guess it's kind of a multi-part question, but one, what what are some things that we could do better as an ag community to better tell our story and effectively tell our story. And then let's talk about some of the ways we react to people that don't understand what we do and how we can better inform them on our way of life and our business practices. Sure. I guess one thing I always focus on is I want to connect and not educate. So, so often, you know, if if you're having a conversation with someone and they say to you, well, I just want to educate you, you know, your first reaction is like, well, why, why do you assume I know nothing? You know, it, it kind of puts right. your guard up like, oh, I'm, I'm gearing up for a lecture here, you know? Um, but if we can connect through shared values, you know, and we do have a lot of shared values with our urban consumers. They, like us, care about family farms and nutrition and animal welfare and the environment, safety and affordability and accessibility of, of food products. And, and, you know, we're living that daily firsthand in, in what we're doing on our farms and ranches. And so if we can find those shared values and, and beyond that, find things in common, whether it's, you know, me relating to another mom and talking about the beef I give my kids for supper or, you know, an athlete that's looking for a great protein source. And instead of buying an expensive protein shake, well, they're looking at beef uh, to fuel their, their workouts. Um, How can we find the things that we have in common and bridge the gap through those shared values that we have? And so that's something I really focus on um, because again, just preaching at the pulpit and telling everyone you don't know anything and I'm going to teach you something today. Um, that's just really not attractive. Uh, that's one thing I think about pretty heavily. And, and sometimes that means kind of biting your tongue and not saying what you really want to say um, in order to find that shared value. Practice makes perfect too, I, I think. And just going out of your comfort zone and, and talking to people. Um, you know, it's really easy to just talk in our own agricultural circles, going beyond our own pasture gates or our own show barns. Is There's people that want to know where their food comes from, and we have to be willing to take a second to visit with them. I really like what you said there. I never even considered that, you know, when you say, I'm going to educate you, that you kind of... Uh, put up a veil of, well, you're not as smart as me on this. And like we said, there's no reason they should be educated on it. 
given the current set of circumstances, but let's say you encounter someone at a county fair or a grocery store and they tell you uh, maybe it probably happens less in South Dakota than it does in California, but they say, hey, look, you, you know, your operation is poisoning and killing the environment and, uh, you know, meets murder or whatnot. You know, one of the, you know, name any one of the million different attacks that we've seen. What's the best way for us to respond to that? Obviously, calmly and collected and somewhat fact based. But do you have any suggestions there on maybe what that first line should be or the thought process of just going in a little deeper to what you said? Um, so, you know, science isn't sexy, right? Emotion is is attractive and cool and, you know, gets people excited and makes people feel things. And in agriculture, we have so much science and research to back up literally every practice that we do and follow. And because of this science, we've been able to produce more beef using fewer resources than ever before. I mean, it's an incredible story in and of itself. But is it cool? Is it sexy? No, probably not. Um, so that's that's really the first hurdle is making it an attractive message, something that consumers are really interested in hearing because all they're seeing right now is the clickbait headlines. Cow farts are ending the, the world as we know it, right? And that, that sticks in people's minds. Um, and so one thing I do in some of my uh, speaking and my travels is I do um, social media workshops where I will work with kids um, and teaching them the right ways to approach these conversations on online. And so I always like to tell this story. I was at a conference in Michigan and I was working with some dairy kids. And one of the things I had them do was practice their elevator speech, which is who you are, where you come from, and, you know, just a quick, you know, snippet of what you do on your farm to produce dairy for people to enjoy. And so then once I had the kids practice their elevator speeches, I said, okay, now I'm going to play the role of the consumer and ask you some tough questions about the dairy industry. And so I, I asked for volunteers and there really wasn't, but there was this ornery, you know, 13 year old kid. And I was like, I'm going to get this kid good. And so he came up and he gave his elevator speech and said, I'm a fifth generation dairy farmer and my family raises cheese, yogurt and ice cream for yours to enjoy. And, and I said, wait, you know, wait just a minute. You mean you have cows, cows that are farting the methane into the environment and they're destroying the ozone layers with their gas. And, uh, he looked at me and he got real serious and he put a hand on his hip and he said, you know what, Amanda, girls fart too. And I, I about died of embarrassment. You know, I, I mean, here I am the speaker and I mean, he got me so good. I, I mean, I was just sweating. I just, just go sit down. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> um, but I tell that story because, and this is what I told the kids that day. I said, you know, good comeback. You stumped the speaker today. But if I was actually a consumer in the grocery store, do you think I bought a jug of milk that day? And if I did, did I feel good about it? Or did I maybe look at the almond milk instead because you were kind of a jerk, you know? And so I told the kids, you know, what he should have said is, I hear you're concerned about the environment. And on my dairy farm, we are too. And this is what we're doing every day to ensure that we're caring for our natural resources and we're sustainable and, you know, being environmentally minded with everything we do and then taking the discussion from there. So it's really ultimately at its core, it's listening first and then finding that way to bridge the gap 
um, by sharing a story um, that really connects you and and endears you to that consumer instead of dismissing their their concerns. No, that's a very, very good point. Because I think, and I like that you brought up the internet in the earlier part of that little segment, because there's so much of this battle is waged online currently. And it's really easy to mm-hmm. say awful things on the internet when you, you know, you're, and you're not face to face. I think we see that issue uh, percolating through society in all facets. But the listening first and then responding with a common cause, I think is very important now that you bring that up, because in a lot of ways, we probably have as an industry have the same concerns that the consumer does, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. but they're not aware that we're actually being diligent going after those concerns and trying to take care of them. They don't realize that, uh, a cow calf producers aren't uh, utilizing a scorched earth policy when it comes to how much grass their cows consume, right? If we torch right. the pastures mm-hmm. and overstock, you know, we're out of business. That's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. That is not a sustainable operation. So, what you're saying, just to recap, is to listen, respond with less science, find the common ground and explain how your own personal operation is combating really the same issues that both parties are deep down concerned about. Yeah. And I don't think we have to ditch science completely because I think facts really help beef up an argument, but it never fails. You know, I'll follow this advice and I'll, even with this situation that's unfolding right now, people are saying, well, you know, maybe you're okay, but what about the factory farmers? You know, it's like they've met me and maybe they think I'm okay because they got to have a conversation with me, but surely the rest of the agriculture industry must be bad, right? And so, again, it's just about making that connection one person at a time. And and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And people are going to find the negative if that's what they want. I mean, that's what these keyboard warriors who you know, think they're armchair farmers basically just do all day, every day. Um, but really, it's just about making that effort to connect with the folks that just genuinely want to understand more about agriculture and unfortunately didn't get to grow up in it or be a part of it like you and I have. I mean, what a blessing it is to grow up in agriculture and know these things so that when you go in the grocery store, we don't feel the guilt or the fear or the worry because we're confident in our food supply because we're part of it. And and so they don't have that that lens or that viewpoint. And so understanding that we kind of have to help fill in those gaps. I think it's also important that we keep our emotional cool because I get frustrated Mm -hmm. as well, just as bad as the next person. When someone tells me that has no experience uh, running cows, that I'm doing a poor job at running my own cows. And I'm like, look, you sit in an office every day and you don't have the first idea. Who are you you to tell me how to operate my ranch? But I think we need to be careful, like you said, when we respond to keep our cool, utilize fact-based arguments, and find that middle ground because there's not a quicker way to make an enemy than to have a flared up emotional reaction to the way some of these people are approaching us. Well, and that's what they want, right? They want you to look irrational Absolutely. and angry and not level-headed. So you're letting them win by 
you know, getting sucked into that. And so, I, I mean, I had someone take my picture that I had posted when I was trying to, you know, ask to be on the Ellen show and they photoshopped it and said, I mean, it was this whole thing. Can I, Ellen, can I come on your show and talk about how I murder animals? Sincerely, a South Dakota psychopath. And I, I kind of laughed because I was like, well, good one. You know, that was, that yeah. was you know, creative, but, but also just mad because it's like, wow, you know, what is wrong with this guy? But instead of taking the bait and engaging with him, I just I just calmly said, you know, hey, welcome to the, the discussion. Nice Photoshop job. You know, if you want to have a great dialogue, I'm open to that, but keep it kind and respectful. And so that was kind of my way of saying, you know, if it gets nasty, I'm going to black you. But otherwise, you know, feel free to converse and we can talk. And honestly, he didn't even deserve that olive branch. He probably should have just been blocked right away. But it's it's those extremists that that's what they want. They want to expose your weaknesses um, and really make you look bad. And if you're cool, calm and collected, it's pretty hard to fault you for, for being a level headed and a voice of reason. I don't know that uh, you, there's any reasoning with any extremists of any view. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. like we said earlier, I don't know that there's anything we can do to win over an extremist in this argument, you know, but hopefully the, the folks that are just trying, like you said, trying to digest more information, learn where their food's coming from. I'm just as worried about the food that I can, I consume and my family consumes as uh, as the person buying it at the grocery store. I mean, obviously we, as, right. as a producer, we want a safe, sustainable food source. The point being is I really like some of the sentiments you had on on how to effectively communicate our position without getting riled up and inflammatory. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. I don't blame you, honestly, for being in California and being mad because, I mean, a good example of this is, I, you know, in South Dakota, I live in a state that largely understands cattle production and why those cows are on the range. But um, in California, the nanny state where the land is better off left barren um, and livestock aren't allowed to be anywhere. And then we wonder why there's wildfires. It's just like it, that connection just isn't being made that cattle are an integral part of maintaining this range and reducing the brush, which slows the spread of wildfires and promotes new growth and healthy grasslands. And man, yes, I, I can see why you get fired up where you are because it's got to fr be a frustrating place to operate um, with both hands tied behind your back. It certainly is. It's uh, in, uh, and I've said it on uh, previous episodes, or maybe it was the one I did on Stock Talk. But you know, I understand the disconnect, and I do enjoy many aspects of the state. But it's just such a diverse landscape out here, not only in terms of farming, cattle ranching, and then obviously our huge urban populations. But I find that the folks in the urban populations, their disconnect there with what we do and how the food makes it to their plates and their home. Again, it's an uphill battle, but we just need to continue the strong, accurate narrative. And it can be frustrating at times. It's been frustrating for me because you're, you're trying to reason with a group of people at times that have misinformation and a lack of understanding. And uh, some of those people don't really wish to understand you at all. They just want you to go away. And we're not trying to do anything right. other than provide food. Let's pivot just for a second. So as uh, many of our listeners know, this 
podcast in general is very heavily focused on show cattle and going to shows and raising show cattle. And oftentimes these uh, county fairs, state fairs, national expositions, they're many times those are the only interaction someone from one of these urban population centers has with the livestock industry. Do you have any suggestions on how we should conduct ourselves, things that we could be doing better at these shows? I've been the first guy that someone comes through on show day and wants to pet the cow and stuff. I get a little bit riled up because we're there to compete. And, uh, you know, they don't understand that we've been putting that calf in. This is like more when I was in high school. Like, you don't know that I've been rinsing this calf three times a day and had him in the cooler for the last four months. But, you know, what, what are some things that we can be doing better? as a show industry, regardless of species, to kind of better educate some of these people. And I know we said don't use, don't say we're going to educate them, but just give them some insight mm-hmm. into the business. Sure. No, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked this because I really think that the stock show families that spend so much time on the road and go to these events are really at the front lines and have a great opportunity to be strong advocates for the industry. You know, so often people will say, Uh, you know, stock shows and and show cattle are are removed from the realistic beef industry. And yeah, it's, it's the fun, glamorous side of it. But you're also right there interacting with the consumers. And these consumers, they're at a county fair or a state fair, they want to see animals, and they're meeting farmers for the first time. I mean, let's give these people their money's worth. And so I know what you're saying, though, you're, you're at your stall, and you're calf is in the chute and you're you're working your butts off and you're you're racing the clock to get your calf to the ring in time and never fails some some townie with their kids and their double strollers and their balloons Mm -hmm. and they come up and say can I pet your cow you know and it's it's Mm -hmm. maddening you know because you've spent so much time so much money so much thought and energy preparing for this moment only to have this consumer come and literally just, I don't know, want to back comb your, your hair in the wrong direction and take a picture, you know, it's frustrating. So I, I get it. I've been there. Um, But to answer your question, what can our industry do better? Um, You know, in, in those moments, in those very stressful moments, just be polite and say, Hey, listen, we're headed to the show ring. We'd love if you'd take your family to the ring and come and watch us. And then we would be even more delighted to connect with you after we show, you know, right now we're just in a time crunch. It's a quick, polite way to say, I, I can't talk to you now, but I invite the conversation for later, you know, cause so often you can just be like, get these people away from me. You know, it's just yeah, in the key to that moment. Yes. Move out of the way. You know, it's, it's hard. I get it. Um, But, you know, being polite in that moment and then, you know, being willing to engage in the downtimes, you know, your calf has been washed and you're not showing that day and you're just sitting at the stall, you know, look up from your phone and, you know, if a family stops to look at your calves and and you have a nice one that that's kid friendly, you know, let those kids have that experience because you never know how meaningful that might be. And, you know, how truly impactful that interaction might be when they say, hey, we got to meet that, that rancher and those cows. And I mean, that's, that's where it really what it's really about. And so, you know, if we look back to the history of these cattle shows, it was one created for breeders to showcase their genetics and 
compete against each other and have that camaraderie, but two, for communities to come together and celebrate agriculture. And so we really have to remember both of those points and why those events are really there. I agree. And do you think it's helpful? And I've done this a couple of times here at the recently, I guess at the California State Fair this summer, but sometimes explaining to the fairgoers the amount of effort and care those young people have put into that animal you really get a quite mm-hmm. a surprise reaction from those people. They had no idea, you know, that this calf got fed two square meals a day. He got uh, more showers than the average person takes in a day. Uh, he gets exercise. Mm-hmm. And then you explain some of the benefits that the young people get from those activities. And the response mm-hmm. would actually surprise you the way the, the fairgoers just kind of light up with wonderment over what it is that we actually do because it's so foreign to them. And I think it's so unexpected. Right. Yeah. I think there's a very delicate line here because, you know, so often these kids are going to see these fluffy, beautiful, gorgeous, you know, perfectly clipped animals. And it's a pretty easy jump to say, wow, that looks like a teddy bear or that looks like, you know, my dog or cat that I love at home. And then pretty soon they're wondering, you know, well, how can you eat your cute pet? You know, I could never do that to mine. And so um, I think it's a really cool way to connect. And how I like to spin that a little bit is, you know, we're not just there to show cattle or livestock, whatever it might be. We're there really developing youth. And so how can we highlight the kids that are there and, you know, their hard work, their dedication, their discipline, their leadership skills, their passion, um, you know, their respect for life and for the land and how this is a family event and how we're growing, you know, gaining friendships and connections and really just a love for agriculture. Um, so I think if we can spin it, it's, it's really about how can we highlight those young people um, that are really like mini professionals. I mean, just working their tails off like it's like it's their job because it is. And, you know, if you, if we really start to highlight these individuals and I can just think of a bunch right in South Dakota that are just super impressive young people, um, you know, those are some really cool stories to tell. Absolutely. Now, going back to that, how can you eat your pet in that narrative? I mean, is there a different way that we should present the livestock in the sense that, you know, yes, we care for them, but it's not really the same thing as my dog or my cat. Is there a different way we should portray that to the public? You know, it's tough because as a society, we're kind of suffering from the Disney effect. So, you know, in every movie and story that's out there, it's the animal that walks and talks and has the emotions And it's the people who are kind of the sideline characters. And so um, people really think that that cow has the emotional capacity as a human being. And it's almost elevated the value of that animal uh, above and beyond any person. Um, But right, we love our our heifers and steers. We work on these projects day in and day out. Um, But it's it's a hard sell. Like I said, it's, it's a delicate thing because to be able to say, you know, well, I, I spend the majority of, t- of my time with this market animal. And at the end of it, I'm going to put him in my freezer. <laughs> that's that's really, really tough. If you don't have the perspective of understanding the circle of life and, you know, the value that that beef animal brings 
um, to providing nutritious beef and also life enriching byproducts. Um, so I guess I'm not quite sure how to answer your question because consumers respond in different ways. So some of them might just take that information and, oh, that's really neat. That's that animal gets a bath twice a day and you use shampoo and wow, how cool. Um, but others might really go to that kind of harder place where you get yourself in a corner and you, you, you don't quite know how to explain that circle of life and that interaction. And, you know, it's, again, we have that vantage point from a very young age of understanding that circle of life and knowing what that market animal is actually, you know, destined to do. That's part of that 4-H members project um, beyond, you know, having them on a, on the halter. Um, and so I did some work on this uh, several years ago um, when one of the Lautner's club calf sires, you know, hit the media and it was all about the fluffy cows and how cute they were. And I mean, it was on Yahoo and Today and um, all kinds of major media outlets. And at that time, the Lautners had reached out to me and said, how can we, you know, spin this or, or what can we do to not hurt the beef industry here? And so that's kind of what we landed on was really, you know, highlighting the junior youth that we are developing as part of this, this project and, um, you know, trying not to make these animals seem like pets. And even if they are our pets for a summer or for a year or for as long as they're in our show barn, um, that's maybe not the right angle to go with when we're talking with consumers at the shows. Gotcha. So we've covered a lot of ground here, Amanda. And we talked a little bit in the beginning of the episode about your open letter to Ellen why don't you just fill us in where the current status is? Do you think you're going to make an appearance on the show or has she uh, responded back to you or anything like that? Sure. Uh, well, since my open letter to Ellen has kind of made the rounds, it's been crickets from her camp so far. Um, but I've, I've done tons of media interviews uh, this week with more to come. And so I'm pleased that the word is still spreading, even if um, her crew hasn't reached out yet. However, I did just get an update um, from someone that's related to someone that works on the Ellen show um, that her team is aware of my letter and they've read it. Um, so whatever that means, take it for what it's worth. We're going to keep banging the drum and seeing if we can get her attention. I'd love the opportunity to get on the show and talk about beef cattle. I can't dance. I said I said I would dance if I went on her show because I think that's a requirement, but uh, that could be the tricky part. <laughs> so um, I would encourage anyone, you know, listening to this to uh, continue. You know, I appreciate if you've helped me along the way so far, but um, continue tagging Ellen or sharing my post or anyone else who's, you know, taking the time to share their stories. Um, you know, help those people's efforts, you know, really reach our consumers. And, and so you don't necessarily need to be writing your own blogs or adding, you know, necessarily chiming into the conversation, but a simple like or share or comment goes a long ways. Um, and so I'd, I'd encourage people uh, to engage that way at the bare minimum. Um, but of course, it'd be awesome and incredible if everyone took the time to share their own personal stories as well. Absolutely. And besides uh, liking and sharing some of the stuff from your blogs and the messaging that you have and, and some of the other outlets that can be really good out there. Is What else can we do besides what we've talked about earlier? Is there anything else that we should be aware of that we can be proactive about 
um, and, and less reactionary when someone calls out our industry. Is there anything we could be doing that's proactive to continue to foster the health of this industry? You know, finding finding that shared value and, um, you know, being where our consumer is at. So if you like running, you know, connect with athletes. If you have kids, connect with other parents. Um, you know, if, you're, if your kids are in 4-H or church groups or whatever it might be, guaranteed there are other families that aren't directly involved in production agriculture. And even though they might be in your rural communities, um, we can't just assume that they know what you're up to and and how you you know get beef to the plate. And so you know being willing to have those those dialogues. Um, for me personally, I guess a pet project of mine and a passion of mine is promoting egg literacy in schools. And so I try to get to as many elementary classrooms as I can. Um, I've written two children's books, Levi's Lost Calf and Can Do Cow Kids, and they both really celebrate the rancher's role and, and caring for the land and the livestock. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I try to find those connections and bridge the gap, but everyone has their own thing and, and their own side hobbies in addition to cattle. And so, you know, how can you take your, your beef industry or your animal agricultural story um, and take it with you to those other hobbies, whether that's, you know, fantasy football league or softball on, on Wednesday nights in the summer or whatever it might be. Um, there's always opportunities to have these conversations. Great insights. Uh, normally, this is where I let people plug their stuff. Is there something that like you want to put out there and have people <laughs> read or something like that? <laughs> sure. I, well, I beat you to it, I guess. Um, yeah, well, so my books, if, if folks are interested in buying them for their kids or donating them to their local elementary schools, um, those are available at amandaradkey.com. And I also sell, you know, fun graphic tees and that kind of thing that I like to wear to cattle shows because they can get dirty and, and wash up well. Um, and they're kind of fun, too. Uh, but I also write for Beef Magazine. I blog every Monday through Thursday. And so folks can find me on Facebook at Beef Magazine or at beefmagazine.com. Awesome. Well, Amanda, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for coming on here and getting us coached up and really explaining uh, how to do our part and what is, I'm only going to assume, will be a continual challenge for the beef and animal agriculture industry. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here and connect with you and, and your audience. And I hope we run into each other at a show down the road. Yeah, for sure. I'd like to say thanks again to our guest today, Amanda Radke, for taking the time out of her day to come on and talk to us about the many ways that we could do a better job of promoting not only the beef industry, but animal agriculture in itself. So thanks again to Amanda for that. As always, uh, check us out on Facebook at Shootside Podcast. I know we need to do a better job of updating that, but go ahead and head over there. Give us a like. If you like the content you're hearing, uh, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite listening platform, and we'd really appreciate a review. Anything that you'd like to hear on the show that we haven't covered, suggestions for guests and things like that, I'm open to any and all input. Uh, go ahead and send us an email, shootsidepodcast at gmail.com, or you can message me on Facebook or message uh, the Shootside Podcast uh, Facebook page. Again, appreciate everyone's support. Having a lot of fun doing this. Until next time, we'll see you later. <laughs>